If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 31. This is the final message in this series. And it's interesting, you think, going through an Exodus series and lead up through this Lenten season, um, as I've been reflecting on this, I'm like, Lord, this is really neat how it just sets up Passion Week, that week between Palm Sunday and Easter, and recognizing all that God did for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But we're in Exodus 31 here as we close this series with a message that's entitled, Equipped and Moved, and you'll understand why I titled that as we walk through this message. So before we begin, I just invite you to bow your heads and pray with me as we get ready to receive from the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together in the Scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, that you instruct us and guide us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak powerfully through this time together. Lord, please use me to bring your word to the congregation. I pray, Father, that you would move in a very powerful way. We lift this time to you. We, we pray that you would silence the room in the spiritual realm from distractions and things that would cause us to not fully receive from you today. And Lord, help us to hear from you and respond. We thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Exodus 31, starting in verse 1, let's get into the scripture here. The Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Urah, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things that I've commanded you to make. The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. The craftsmen must make everything as I have commanded you. That is where we're going to stop at this moment here, and I'm going to unpack some things in this particular passage that I see God equipping people for His work. So the first part of this message being that God equips, the first thing God does in the equipping process is He chooses us. 
And you see that specifically with Bezalel. Verse 2, he says, look, I've specifically chosen Bezalel. And also in verse 6, he says, I've personally appointed Aholiab. And so as God chooses us, John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And he also chose us, he says, to then go and bear fruit. So God chooses us. That's the initial part of us being equipped as God calls us out. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're God's handiwork or masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And that scripture says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's good work that God desires to flow out of your life. And what's interesting, these are adult men. And when they were named, their names had very specific meanings. And I find it very interesting that their names kind of fit with the calling that they had on their life. Aholiab's name means Father's Tent. Now think about what he's going to be involved in and what he's working on, this tabernacle and the tent that's in the tabernacle. And his name means Father's Tent, and Bezalel's name means in the shadow or the protection of God. Now when they would set up the tabernacle, when they would move from place to place, it was in the center of the Israelite camp. The very center. And then the twelve tribes would encamp around the tabernacle. And you can see in the shadow of God, these people would camp around the tabernacle where His presence was. The first thing God does in equipping us is His choosing or His appointing of us. The next thing is God equips us by saving us. He redeems us. And so you think about it, when we respond to the gospel and we give our lives to Christ, someone comes to take up residence with Christ. We receive Christ in our life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. And in verse 3, the Scriptures say that God has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God. So for him to even be equipped to have these kinds of skills, it comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so for us today, the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Spirit is given to us. In Romans 8, 9, it says that we've not received this Spirit of flesh, but the Holy Spirit because... He dwells in us. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, God set His seal of ownership on us and He put His Spirit into our hearts. So the day you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit lives in you, He also gifts you. He gives you abilities he gives you wisdom. We see that here in verses 3 through 6. The Spirit gave Bezalel great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman. He's an expert. He's skilled. He's a master at every craft. You see these kinds of things 
you know people in the church that seem to be very gifted in certain areas? Can you think of people that come to mind when you think of people who are gifted by God? And just in that way, God gifted Bezalel. And moreover, He gave special skill to all the gifted craftsmen. So all the people that got on board with this, God had equipped to do this. In Romans 12, 6 and 1 Peter 4, 10, talk about how we've all been given gifts and we should use them. Use the gifts that God has given you. If you're saved, God's equipped you. But we have to do something now that we're a part of His kingdom. You can't be the hands and feet of Jesus when you're sitting on your hands. We get to work. We're actively engaged and involved because we're equipped. The last aspect of God equipping these people is that they were given instructions. How many of you have ever gotten something out of a box that needs to be assembled? And it comes with instructions. And sometimes if you're like me, you kind of take the instructions and I ah, will figure it out, you know. I mean, I'll refer to that and then maybe you wish you would have gone back and actually read through the instructions, right? Well, in verse 6, the Bible tells us that they can make all of these things that God commanded them to make. He gave them the instructions. Verse 11, the craftsman must make everything as I have commanded. Now, if you've been reading through this Exodus uh, series with us, you've probably noticed some of these chapters have a variety of detail of dimensions and how things are supposed to be constructed. They were given instructions. And so God has given us instructions. So not only does He choose us and we're saved and then we're given these gifts by the Holy Spirit, God also tells us what we should be doing. He gives us instructions. And so these people got to work and they began to build this tabernacle. And the word tabernacle is translated from the Hebrew word mishkan, and it means dwelling place. This is where God would dwell when they would set up camp. And this tabernacle courtyard would be about 150 foot long and 75 foot wide. And so for maybe some perspective of the whole courtyard, this whole thing was not tented. Okay? It was like a fence, if you will, or a gate around the courtyard. It'd be about as wide as our sanctuary, but then you go from like the back wall all the way to the far north end of our building would give you a rough idea of how big this courtyard would be. And one of the first items that you would see in this courtyard is the bronze altar, and I want to just kind of unpack the purpose of this. It's also referred to as the altar of burnt offerings, and this altar was placed in the courtyard before you'd reach the door of the tabernacle. And this is the altar where the priests would offer sacrifices that the Lord commanded Israel to bring him. And blood would be put on the horns of the altar. And these horns were on all four corners of this square altar. And then they also would pour the blood out at the base of the altar. This ritual emphasized that sin deserved death but that God would accept innocent blood in the place 
of the sinner's life. Now, as I walk through each of these items in the tabernacle, I want to highlight for you how you can see Christ in each of these items. As far as the bronze altar and the sacrifice that would be given there in Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14, the Bible says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before that altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again. Could you imagine if that was your job? Day after day. And it says these things could never take away sins. But our high priest, who do you think we're talking about there? Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, and it's good for all time. And he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, the offering of his life, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. You can see Jesus in the midst of this bronze altar. The next item was the bronze basin. And this basin was used for the priests to wash themselves before they would serve either in the tabernacle or at the altar for burnt offerings. And this basin may also have been used to wash the sacrifices as well. Now thinking of the washing or the cleansing, you can see Christ in this as the one who washes away our sin. He's the cleanser. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see these items in the tabernacle courtyard and then you find the tent. The tent of the tabernacle. Approximately 45 foot long, 15 foot wide, 15 foot high. And in this particular place, if you want to go to the next slide to give you an idea, I know that's going to talk about the golden lampstand, but while I'm giving you dimensions of the tent, you can kind of see here the first 30 foot of that tent was known as the holy place. And there was a variety of items in there, and we'll break those down in a second. But then the last 15 foot, there was a, a, a curtain there that would separate these two rooms from one another. And that second room was called the most holy place. And inside the holy place, there was a variety of items, the first one here being the golden lampstand. The lampstand provided light within the tabernacle, and the priests were instructed to keep it burning on a regular basis. The continual burning represented God's continual presence among the people, and Aaron was to tend to these lamps in the morning and in the evening. So as far as it giving light to the tabernacle and having God's presence, can you see Jesus at all when it comes to the light? He said He is the light of the world. The next item in the holy place was the table for the showbread. The showbread, the bread of presence, represented the Lord's presence that provided everything that the people needed in life. Bread is such a staple. There were 12 flat loaves of bread symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. Can you see Jesus 
when it comes to the showbread. He is the bread of life. The next item there, right at the point where there was the curtain or that veil that separated things, you'd have the altar of incense. And this altar stood right before that veil and it separated the holy place from the most holy place. And Aaron was to burn incense on the altar as an offering before the Lord in the morning and in the evening when he would also tend to the lampstand. So to a certain degree, the altar of incense was almost like interceding before they would go into the most holy place. And Jesus is our intercessor. In Hebrews 7.25, the Bible says that Jesus lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. You can see Christ in each of these items, and we're about to enter into a room that was incredibly sacred. The most holy place. And in that room was known as the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. This would be God's throne from where He would meet and speak with Moses. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, the two stone tablets. There was also a golden urn that contained manna, and there was Aaron's staff that had budded. There was something growing on that staff. And it was to be the only item in the most holy place. And on top of the Ark was the mercy seat or the cover, and on top of that cover sat two angelic creatures known as cherubim with their wings touching. And it was there from between the cherubim that God would speak to Moses. The ark and its contents were kept hidden from view at all times. But one thing about the tabernacle is when God's presence would move, they would pack everything up and they would move with it. Could you imagine grabbing all of these items? Here we go. But what would lead the way is the Ark of the Covenant. And this was so sacred, I mean, to the point where there was one point where if you'd touch it, you'd die. You think about how sacred this would be, and then they take it across the Jordan River, they walk it out into the river, and it stops flowing so they can cross. Now you think this thing is hidden at all times, but when we're on the move, could you imagine being in the Israelite community and you go, there it is. Could you imagine? And to help us gain perspective and that understanding as they would move from place to place, I want us as a community maybe to experience what that might have been like.
one of the most sacred days for the Israelites was the Day of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur. It's the most solemn holy day of all the Israelite feasts and festivals observed around September and October. And on that day, the high priest was to perform elaborate rituals to atone for the sins of the people. And this was not a ceremony that should be taken lightly, and the people were to understand that atonement for sin was to be done God's way. And so let me walk you through a bit of the process for this. But Aaron was to bathe and then put on special garments. And then he would sacrifice a bull for a sin offering that would cover himself and also his own family. And he would sprinkle the bull's blood on the ark. And then Aaron would get two goats and he would cast lots over these goats and one goat would be sacrificed and its blood would be sprinkled onto the Ark of the Covenant. And Aaron would then place his hand on the head of the other goat, and it's known as the scapegoat. And he would confess over it the sins and the rebellion and the wickedness of the Israelites, and then the scapegoat would be released into the wilderness, and it carried all the sins of the people, and Israel would be forgiven for another year. But year after year, Can you imagine that process? Having a representative on your behalf walking into the most holy place and doing this year after year after year. Can you see Jesus anywhere in this picture? In Romans 3, verse 22, the Bible says that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. And He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, the shedding of His blood. We sang a couple of songs this morning that emphasized the blood of Jesus. And you might come to church and you think that's kind of weird to be singing about somebody's blood, but do we really understand how significant His blood really is? Jesus is our high priest. We don't need Aaron to come and do that anymore. And in Hebrews 9, verse 11, it says, Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. And He entered into that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, He entered the most holy place, once for all time, and He secured our redemption forever. And under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer would cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. But just think how much more the blood of Jesus will purify our consciences from sinful deeds 
so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. I hope as we are walking through this, Easter becomes a bigger deal. And understanding when Christ came to this earth and He gave His life by dying this death on a cross, it was to set us free by His blood. This tabernacle points to Christ and God equipped these people to not only construct this tabernacle, but this place of worship that points to Jesus. And that is what God is doing with His people today. He's choosing them, He's saving them, He's gifting them, He's instructing them all to point to Christ and to bring God glory. Does that stir anything in us? Is there anything inside of us that begins to move? And that leads me to my second part here is that we're equipped by God, but then we're moved by God. And I'm going to draw out these verses for you in chapter 35. But what you see happening here is these people were given instructions to build the tabernacle. People got involved. They had generous hearts. God is moving by His grace a work of generosity in people. And He also draws out willing hearts. People that are like, I'm ready to do this. I'm willing, God, to be involved in the kingdom work. People that are eager to help. Not just willing, like, yeah, I suppose if that comes my way, I guess I'll help out with that. They were eager. It's like they're taking a step towards this, saying, I want to do what God is asking. And in verse 21 of chapter 35, the Scriptures say, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved, they came and they got involved. So God equips us and God moves us. Is there anything stirring in you to be engaged and involved in the kingdom of God? So it's one thing to have God moving in you like that, but for all of us, we, we come to a place of response. So God does these things in us, wants to use us, and God will use those who respond to him. Exodus 36, verse 2, Moses summoned these two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, and then all the others who were specifically gifted, so they're equipped, but they were eager to get to work. Who's leaning in to the kingdom work that God's asking? God uses those people that lean in. God blesses those who respond. In chapter 39, verses 42 and 43, the people of Israel followed the Lord's instructions, and then in, as a result, He blessed them. So as we respond, as we engage in kingdom work, there's a blessing that comes from heaven, and I want us to really get this. God uses those who respond. He blesses those who respond. And meanwhile, God receives all the glory for what's going on. In chapter 40, we get a picture of God's presence coming and filling 
the tabernacle. You see His glory on display. These people got involved. They were used. And they were blessed. And God is now being glorified. Verse 35 of chapter 40. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 38, The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it and this continued through all their journeys. To the glory of God. We become equipped, we're moved by the Spirit, and God receives all of the glory. A couple weeks ago, there was a song that was released, and just this week as I heard this song, I thought this is absolutely perfect for the message today. Understanding the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Are you thankful for that? I know I am. Where would I be without Christ? And because of His redemption in my life, I want to be engaged and involved in the kingdom of God, all to the glory of God. Are you thankful for the blood of Christ? It covers our sin. Has the blood been applied into your life? It's applied by grace through faith in Jesus. I want to lead us now in a prayer of response. Before we pray, I just want to invite anybody that's yet to have applied the blood of Jesus Christ into your life to pray with me. Christ came to redeem us and to set us free from sin. And the sad reality of it is we have a world around us that rejects Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. And they miss out on heaven. And unfortunately, they go to a place that's called hell where there's eternal separation from God. But Christ made it possible for us to have a relationship with God Almighty. Would you pray with me as we respond? Father, first off, we come before you and we want to give thanks. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us from our sin. His death on a cross is the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that brings redemption for sin for all time. Lord, I'm thankful for your grace and how you draw us in to a relationship with you through Jesus. And if there's someone listening today that has yet to apply the blood of Christ into their life to have his forgiveness of sin and to have him come and live in their life, I want to lead you today in response to the truth of Jesus. Just pray with me in your heart as I lead you if you desire to receive him today.
Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and being the perfect sacrifice. Today I ask for forgiveness of my sin and that you would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Make me a new person, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Fill me with your Spirit and help me to walk in your instruction. Equip me and move me, all for the kingdom and the glory of God. Thank you for this gift of salvation. If there's anyone that has prayed with me with every head bowed and eye closed, if you prayed to receive Christ today, would you just simply lift your hand for me acknowledging that today? Anyone at all? Thank you. Just simply lift your hand up. Pastor Russ, I prayed that with you today. Perhaps there might be somebody in the overflow or watching online just acknowledging the gift of salvation. Father, we thank you for new life in Jesus Christ. May you be glorified through these responses today. Help us as a body, a body of Christ, to be engaged and involved in the kingdom. You've equipped us. Move upon our hearts to respond and to live in action for the kingdom of God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.